Welcome to the Politics of Fish podcast, the American Sport Fishing Association's bi-weekly podcast covering the people, organizations, and issues that impact the recreational fishing industry. I'm your host, Mike Leonard, Vice President of Government Affairs for ASA. On this episode, my guest is Jeff Andrews, President of the Center for Sport Fishing Policy, or CSP. Jeff has been with CSP from the start and has been a huge driver in marine fisheries policy over that time. As you may have noticed, a central theme of the Politics of Fish podcast has been the value of coalitions. CSP serves that role for federal marine fisheries management, bringing various organizations and companies together toward a common mission of advancing conservation and fishing opportunities. Jeff and I do a deeper dive into the work of CSP, some of its successes, and the major issues facing the marine recreational fishing community. So with that, let's dive into the interview. Okay, well, I'm uh, thrilled to have on this episode really the namesake of the the title of this podcast, The Politics of Fish. There's a lot of uh, Andrewisms out there, one of which is that phrase, The Politics of Fish. So Jeff, long overdue to have you on here. Uh, thank you for letting us um, plagiarize your catchphrase for this podcast, but uh, glad to have you on uh, to talk about all things marine fisheries. Well, uh, well, well, thanks, Mike. I'm delighted to be with you. Um, you know, more than most, that uh, fish are the most political animals of all. Um, and I think you do do a beautiful job w- with this podcast. So thank you for your leadership. All right. Well, thanks, Jeff. Well, um, I guess we'll start, Jeff, if we could, a little bit about yourself, as well as the Center for Sport Fishing Policy. We we're talking offline. It's sort of hard to ask you to do one without the other, just given how intertwined your background is with CSP. So um, tell us how you uh, came to be in this field of marine fisheries policy and how that led to um, where we are today with Center for Sport Fishing Policy. Well, uh, thanks, Mike. You know, I um, I served as the executive director um, and CEO of the Coastal Conservation Association of Louisiana from the early 90s through 2006. Um, and during that time, um, you know, we were focused on uh, trying to get rid of indiscriminate fishing gear from our state's coastal waters. We were focused on uh, proper management of the most important state waters fisheries um, like speckled trout and redfish and flounder and the like. We were focused on game fish status and permanent game fish status. Um, just like many other coastal states, many of the battles in marine fisheries were fought in state capitals in the 80s and 90s. And as we got into the 2000s, it became all the more clear um, that so many of the battles that were ahead were going to be fought in Washington, um, and they were going to be fought over federal waters fisheries. And that really served as the, the impetus to, uh, to start the Center for Sport Fishing Policy. Um, we knew uh, that there were a number of uh, partners who were actively engaged in doing the work in the marine uh, spaces, um, but but we we came on the scene in 2006 to try to partner with and and coordinate at, at the highest levels um, all of the activities uh, between the the individuals, the institutions and the corporations that were so actively involved um, in pushing for sound stewardship, good management, and uh, and conservation. 
So who are some of those organizations, corporations that are part of the umbrella? Well, um, first, at the top of the list, I'll put our friends at ASA. So many of the, uh, of the partners who you and I work with every day, um, friends from CCA and Bonefish Tarpon Trust, the Guy Harvey Ocean Foundation, um, IGFA, those are Boat US um, and National Marine Manufacturers Association. Um, you know, those are some of the uh, critical institutions that are engaged in uh, trade association work and conservation, uh, conservation association work um, um, in their own spaces. Um, there are um, so many of the for-profit partners who sell to, to anglers, uh, friends like Pure Fishing and Shimano and Yamaha and Brunswick, um, our friends at Sea Star Solutions, now Dometic, Bass Pro Shops. Um, you know, um, I know one of your earlier guests on this podcast was um, Bill Shedd, uh, the president of, of AFTCO. Um, he also serves as our um, vice chairman, but, you know, friends at, at, at Gorman and Jim Lux and Costa, uh, so many of the boat builders, um, like, um, like Maverick boat group, sportsman, uh, Viking, our friends at Everglade and invincible yellowfin regulator. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention Grady white boats because the first boat builder to catch the vision of the Center for Sport Fishing Policy was Eddie Smith, uh, the owner of Grady White Boats. He saw the need to unite marine conservation with marine manufacturing. And he was one of the first guys to step up and say, count me in. Um, and Eddie is an icon in marine manufacturing and, uh, and made a huge difference as we grew from our, our infancy um, in 2006, 2007. To the point that you have a uh, Eddie Smith, what's it called, the Conservationist of the Year Award, right? We actually um, uh, called it the Eddie Smith Manufacturer of the Year Award because, because we want to we focus on, on how manufacturers have uh, been, uh, been so focused on, on growing marine conservation across the country. Yeah. And so it's a big umbrella, big tent, just all the groups and uh, companies that you rattled off there and uh, even more that um, not enough time to fit them all in. But uh, what, You're right. you know, we talked about this on the last episode with Whit Fosberg, with Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, that you've got organizations or even companies that, um, you know, there's so much overlap in what we're focused on, but we tend to be... Um, kind of myopic. We just focus on what we're doing, what's right in front of us. So the coordination doesn't necessarily happen organically. What, what's been, um, as you've been watching this for over, what, 15, 16 years now, what have you seen in kind of the, the before and the after CSP was created in terms of the value of bringing everybody together and kind of uniting towards a common mission? Well, Mike, you know, a coalition is always bigger than the sum of its parts. Um, you know, 
our friends in the trade association business like ASA and NMMA, uh, the, the, uh, the Marine Retailers Association of the Americas, um, um, and some of the others, there's a focus in trade associations that is different than, than some of the marine conservation organizations that are focused on membership and serving their members like CCA and IGFA um, and Bonefish Tarpon Trust. You know, all of us are, are generally pulling in the same direction all the time. Um, but as everyone really coordinates their activities, especially with the government affairs professionals in Washington that are on board for so many of our partners, as we gather on such a regular basis to discuss every issue um, that's bubbling up um, federally and in the regions, it makes our engagement all the more meaningful um, when we can speak with one voice. They, you know, prior to um, us coming on the scene, um, and this isn't a criticism, it, it was just something to be noticed, everyone had had a had a slightly different perspective that might be a little regional, a little parochial. Um, and our message in Washington might have been a little muddled as marine conservationists. But I think what we've tried to do um, um, was really to, to come in to supplement all of the amazing work of our partners and just try to um, work on the tone so that everyone can sing from the same song sheet. We have, uh, we have amazing partners who do well in, uh, in the offices of Democratic members of Congress, in the offices of Republican members of Congress and, and independents. Uh, but we want to make sure that the right partner goes in to see the right member of Congress and brings the same tone uh, focusing on uh, on fish and game conservation um, as a nonpartisan issue. You know, the pendulum is always swinging in politics and in the politics of fish. Um, and we only win um, when we stay nonpartisan. We have no idea what's going to come in the next Congress, the 119th Congress. Um, we don't know what's going to come in the 118th Congress, but we know that as long as we're focused on, on nonpartisanship and focused on the members of Congress who get stewardship, who get conservation, who are interested in taking their children and grandchildren on the water, we're going to be a winner. So as you were talking about the that sort of coalition building and the need to have that to be effective in policy, I'm, I'm thinking of what I want to get to next, which is um, how that compares with other uh, players in this space, especially, you know, the primary mission of Center for Sport Fishing Policy is to focus on federal marine fisheries, which is governed by the Magnuson-Stevens Act. And historically, the commercial fishing industry has been really uh, the, the drivers in that. They've been the ones coming together and historically pushing what needs to get done with Magnuson-Stevens. And then more recently, over the last couple of decades, the same from the environmental community. 
And it wasn't until you know CSP came along and uh, started having us all working in a more coordinated, cohesive fashion that we started to see the recreational fishing community uh, be able to have a say in the Magnuson-Stevens Act to the point that um, we were able to get something called the Modern Fish Act done. So, Jeff, can you kind of give us a little bit more color around that? You know, the Modern Fish Act was, I know there's been a lot of victories that CSP has been a part of, but, you know, that's probably the biggest over the last, uh, you know, 10 years or so. Um, kind of tell that story of the Modern Fish Act and, and um, you know, where we're at with it now and uh, the significance of it in terms of the, the broader landscape of marine fisheries management. Well, um, Mike, um, um, I want to make sure that all of your listeners know um, of the incredible leadership role that you personally played um, in the passage of, of the Modern Fish Act. This was a great coalition effort, um, but you chaired the Government Affairs Committee um, for CSP um, during those critical times. And as we gathered smart folks from all over the country to come together to plan uh, this, this this huge effort, you and so many others made a big difference. You know, uh, um, I think the story of, of the Modern Fish Act um, can't be told without just a couple frames of reference on the Magnuson-Stevens Act. Passed in, passed in 1976, um, it was designed, uh, it was, um, was focused on, on reducing commercial overfishing in U.S. waters. The focus of the Magnuson-Stevens Act in, in the mid-70s was to push foreign fishing fleets away from our shores and for America to claim our exclusive economic zone out to 200 miles. Many other nations followed suit and did the same. But for us, it was all about professionalizing the commercial fishery and, and, and Americanizing the commercial fishery. Now, in 1976, the coolest new technology in, in marine recreational fishing and boating was probably um, a 150 um, on a 17-foot center console. That might be what, uh, what, what headlined the Miami Boat Show back in 1976. Fast forward to today, and we know that we might see, you know, four four hundreds on the back of a fifty-five foot center console um, that can certainly bring recreational anglers out to the fishing grounds and back home much more efficiently today than was possible back back in nineteen seventy-six. While there have been technological advances on the water in boating and fishing technology. There had not been um, those same uh, those same legislative changes to uh, to keep up with what has become a large and frankly larger sector in marine fisheries, the recreational fishing sector. Um, the other players that were focused on the Magnuson Stevens Act were always focused on this ideal that no provision in Marine in, in, in Magnuson-Stevens could be changed until it was a full reauthorization and every stakeholder could have, uh, could have a seat at the table. And at some point in the next couple of decades, we might get around to that. That was what we heard 
from the commercial sector and from the environmental sector. We decided um, that we were for uh, certain things in marine fisheries. We knew that commercial and recreational fishing uh, were different endeavors and they needed to be managed differently. Um, and as we set forth the, um, the six planks in our platform of things that we were for, we, uh, we crafted the Modern Fish Act so that we could bring out the, the things that we were for uh, to the forefront and ask Congress to foster some statutory changes that, uh, that would benefit the recreational fishery. None of them um, were, were, um, were, were, were far afield, but because the statutes were focused only on commercial fisheries management, which meant they were only focused on pounds of dead fish dockside at a commercial dock, um, th the statute had not kept up with us. Um, the Modern Fish Act um, passed finally in December of 2018 and was signed into law. We have continued since then to grade the federal government on their implementation of the Modern Fish Act going back for the last four years. And we've tried to focus on their progress uh, pretty regularly. And we have a new um, a progress report that should be publishing shortly after the first of the year. Um, but I will note for listeners that that can always be found on our homepage at sportfishingpolicy.com. Yeah, it's uh, a long journey. Um, and as we've often discussed, once a bill it gets signed into law, that's when the work really starts. <laughs> that's what we've been having to deal with with the Modern Fish Act. Uh, but, you know, there have been some signs of progress. And, yeah, I would encourage folks to you know check out that progress report, see where things are going well and maybe – going slower than we thought or worse than we had hoped. But, um, you know, or a recent yes, example in the Mid-Atlantic region, you know, one of the central uh, pillars, as you mentioned, in Modern Fish Act was looking at alternative ways of managing recreational fishing that are different than the standard you know, commercial fishing model of setting catch limits and monitoring catch in real time to the pound and closing the fishery down when you reach that limit. It just doesn't work with recreational fishing given the nature of it and data limitations. But yeah, you know, we're starting to see some of these alternative, better, more flexible ways of managing recreational fishing work their way into, in the mid-Atlantic, it's black sea bass, scup, and flounder, I think are the three species. So, you know, it's it's not gonna all happen overnight and really not happen from the top down, but uh, rather from, you know, working with the councils, but having that additional flexibility in law to allow for recreational fishing to be managed in a uh, more modern and appropriate way. So, um, yeah. And, and Mike, um, I, I do want to offer kudos to, to the mid Atlantic council um, because they are expected to implement um, a harvest control rule um, in 2023 um, that works to address the limitations of MRIP uh, by evaluating uh, other metrics like stock status uh, when determining the direction and magnitude of a management change, although the harvest, although the success of a harvest control rule like this uh, in that space is unknown um, at this point, we feel we're going to see success there, 
and we and we strongly encourage NOAA fisheries uh, to use similar co- collaborative stakeholder models across other regions to advance rec management uh, reform timelines and test similar proposals. I think that the agency uh, leadership um, has been has been proactive recently um, in encouraging the council's efforts on alternative management methods, but I know that more work can be done. Yep. And, you know, you, you said the term harvest control rule, you know, there's maybe 20 people in the country that understand what all that means, but it, for, for everyone else, just know it's really important. And uh, ultimately in terms of regulations, it'll mean more stability, less of the yo-yo, yo-yo effect. We see in a lot of fisheries where, you know, from one year to the next, Season lengths, bag limits, et cetera, can be slashed, you know, in half. The, the idea is let's get more stability in these regulations, and ultimately, uh, over time, hopefully, that allows um, a more positive uh, access, opportunity, business environment to, to operate in. Well, and Mike, I, I do want to add, you know, uh, harvest control rule is a weedy fish head, you know, fisheries uh, fisheries term, but you know, the states. Um, the states, all of the states, do an excellent job managing their fisheries. They don't manage recreational fisheries in the 50 states the way that the federal government does, because the federal government had, before the Modern Fish Act, been focused, as you noted, only on pounds of dead fish dockside. States use other tools in the fishery management toolbox, like extraction rates, fishing mortality rates, you know, traditional or cultural practices of native communities. Um, But the states provide for anglers in state waters fisheries much more stability, much greater access, much greater opportunity. And that's why there's such a wonderful, trusting relationship between anglers and state managers. We've just tried to foster through the Modern Fish Act these other tools that work in the states to be acceptable in federal law. And that has made a big difference in the mid-Atlantic. And we and we hope that the sentiments uh, there can be exported to other regions like the South Atlantic, the Gulf, uh, New England, and the Pacific. Yeah. So in the few minutes we have left here, um, what else? We, we, Modern Fish Act is still, you know, it's not done. It's still something we're working on. But what are a few of the other top issues um, that CSP is working on that uh, folks need to be aware of? Well, um, we've been actively engaged in um, in Gulf Red Snapper, South Atlantic Red, Red Snapper, and both of those fisheries um, are challenging. In the Gulf, thanks to state management, and the, and the leadership and partnership of each of the Gulf states um, managing their own, uh, their own fisheries, we've seen a dramatic improvement in, um, in stability, access, and opportunity um, for Gulf Red Snapper. Um, so much so that the season in my home state of Louisiana went from uh, projecting projected three or four days in uh, 2017 to over a hundred days in the last couple of years. And that's a function of states doing it better. The challenges on the Atlantic, on the South Atlantic 
are different, but we believe surmountable. And we have uh, have encouraged um, federally um, members of Congress um, and the agency to uh, to take to take the steps that can get us to a more robust fishery uh, where anglers have access and opportunity there. Um, Mike, perhaps the the biggest issue on the horizon right now is this issue of right whales in the North Atlantic, Brutus whales in the Gulf, and gray whales in the Pacific. Um, um, we all know that uh, that North Atlantic right whales are endangered, and recreational anglers and boaters want to do our part um, to help conserve this iconic species. The federal government decided to pursue a rulemaking without talking to recreational anglers and boaters, um, wherein they set forth a proposed rule late this summer that um, is really not ready for prime time. We don't think that the proposed rule um, is going to uh, save the North Atlantic right whale, but we know that it will destroy recreational fishing and boating all along the Atlantic coast. Currently, um, there is a rule in place where there are discrete zones in which vessels 65 foot or larger um, must go 10 knots or slower. The proposed rule takes those discrete uh, zones and expands them uh, to cover pretty much the entire Atlantic coast from Massachusetts to Florida out as far as 90 miles um, and keeps those areas you know, in this go slow zone for as much as seven months out of the year. Um, we know that recreational anglers and boaters are America's original conservationists. Um, we know that we have been paying for conservation for a hundred years. Um, and we're still kind of stunned that NOAA didn't even ask for our input. Um, you and I know, Mike, that uh, that pretty much every marine conservation challenge that we've seen over the last 50 plus years, the solutions to those challenges have been brought by people in the, in the marine conservation community like us. We feel like we have uh, shared appropriate comments with the federal government. Uh, we've asked them to pause this rule and to listen to the concerns of recreational anglers and boaters. Um, and we are hopeful that they will hit pause and change course. We don't know that yet, but but this whole rulemaking process is a long slog, and uh, we are certainly hopeful. Yeah, nothing nothing ever easy in this space, and um, a lot of times it's one step forward, one step back. Or if you think about the progress of Modern Fish Act and Harvest Control Rule, and then we've got um, you know pretty substantial boating closures facing us with the right whale vessel speed restrictions. So plenty to keep us busy and occupied and um, and all the more reason for the need of a group like CSP to um, get us all you know, rowing in the same direction. So 
Uh, Jeff, really appreciate having you on. Uh, we'll, you know, for folks in the industry that are not currently aware of or involved with CSP, would certainly encourage you do, to do so if you've got an interest in marine fisheries and it has an impact on your business. And we'll include information in the show notes on uh, how to uh, get in touch with CSP and learn more about them. So, Jeff, before we uh, end here, any any parting thoughts? Just my sincere thanks for the partnership of the American Sport Fishing Association almost from from day one. Y'all recognized both under uh, both under the leadership of Glenn Hughes and Mike Nussman um, the value of coalitions, the value of uh, partnerships, um, and really it's 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 because of visionary leaders. Um, in, in all of our partner groups that we've been able to have so much success. So just a simple thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Jeff. Um, let's let's keep it going and uh, appreciate all the work we do together. And um, uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family. And I know we'll be talking plenty uh, probably over the coming weeks and certainly as we get ready for what we want to do in 2023. So thanks so much for your time, Jeff. Thank you, Mike. Merry Christmas. Thanks again to Jeff for taking the time out of his busy schedule to chat and explain more about CSP and how it's working to bring the sport fishing community together on marine fisheries management and conservation issues. To learn more about CSP, visit their website, sportfishingpolicy.com. We'll be back in a couple weeks with the next episode, but in the meantime, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and share the Politics of Fish podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks for listening, tight lines, and have a great holiday season.